Take your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Thessalonians. Now, some of you may have been anticipating a graduation uh, service this morning. That has been postponed for a few weeks. Uh, we'll be letting you know when that is rescheduled. We're uh, ironing out some rough spots, but looking forward to honoring our graduates. And so uh, if you would, continue to keep that in your prayers as we move towards that day. Um, and uh, anyway, so, the, so this morning we're going to go back to the book study that we've been in. For those of you who uh, have maybe been gone for a couple of weeks, you probably haven't missed anything. Uh, we have been working through First Thessalonians, as most of you know. And so we're back into this book in chapter 5. Chapter 5. And you will remember last time we concluded with verses... Uh, 12 and 13, and we'll pick up today from from that point. But uh, before we get started, let me see a show of hands. Uh, How many of you know that the church is full of imperfect people? Okay, excellent, excellent. You can put your hands down, put your hands down. And and now my next question, uh, raise your hand if you have flaws of your own. Okay, those of you that did not raise your hand, you can raise them now because uh, you just lied. (laughs) That's a flaw. So, uh, anyways, look, church is full of imperfect people. If you're visiting today and you are looking for a church, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Good news is, this is a great church. The bad news is, there's a bunch of people in this church, and people are imperfect, and you're looking at one. And if you're looking for a church made up of imperfect people with flaws, then this may be the church for you. (laughs) Uh, You've heard the saying, if you find a church that you, you know, hey man, this is the perfect church, I found the perfect church, don't join it or you'll mess it up. (laughs) We all have flaws. And the Apostle Paul is going to help us in working with one another uh, in church life to deal with some of those imperfections that we all have. Uh, I don't know if anybody has access to the, um, to the air back there, but uh, this is going to be a hot sermon, and I'm already feeling it, so... Uh, <laughs> So anyway, sorry, if anybody needs to borrow my coat because it gets too cold, please come see me. Um, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. L- listen to this. So I want to I share a, a quote with you. It's been said that the church is a hospital for sinners saved by grace. The church is a hospital for sinners saved by grace to heal and grow strong. Think about that. I, I, I can think of my own life, and I remember as a new believer in my mid-twenties. And I, I, the only way I knew to describe what I had gone through in my life was... After I had called upon Christ to be my Lord and Savior, I surrendered my life to to the Lord. I remember finding myself in church, and and I told somebody, I said, you know, I just feel like someone who has spiritually been beat up. 
I felt like somebody beat me with the ugly stick. I mean, I just, I felt spiritually just beat up. But when I came together with believers, it was like I was genuinely in a hospital, being nurtured, being strengthened, um, and being healed in a sense. My life was being put back together. And, uh, and some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are experiencing that. You have experienced that. We'll continue to experience that. Henry Ward Beecher once said, The church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent Christians, but a school for the education of imperfect ones. Let me read that again in case you didn't get it. The church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent Christians, but a school for the education of imperfect ones. Well, if you're here this morning and you're like me and you're an imperfect Christian, uh, it's time to go to school, folks. Class is in session. So let's take a look at what the Lord has to say. I I will go ahead and say this up front. Because of the last-minute curveball and not doing the graduation ceremony, uh, Pastor Jeremy was uh, up late last night getting this sermon together. So I will lean heavily upon my notes this morning uh, and a lot of what you're hearing uh, will be borrowed from Mr. John MacArthur, and I want to give credit where credit is due. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit re- deserves all the credit because the truth that is shared in today's message is God's truth. And that's something I do not want us to miss. In fact, as I, I, as I was preparing this, there's so many things that, that I found that I was like, I can't not share this. So... Anyways, I want to start by reading a a portion of uh, Mr. MacArthur's sermon in regards to this series, and we're going to use his outline, because as you hear this, you'll know why I'm using this outline. This is spot on with what the Word of God says. But let's look to the Lord as we begin this morning. Father, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I recognize that that any truth, all truth, is your truth. And Father, that's what we want this morning. Remove me, uh, Lord, speak through me, uh, but may I be a conduit of your grace and your message, Lord, this morning, because we're here to be educated. We're here to grow in the grace, knowledge, and understanding of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, if there's anyone here that does not know Christ, then Lord, I pray that today might be their day of salvation, where they would recognize they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And Lord, apart from you, we do not have life. We do not have eternal life. We're still dead in our trespasses and sins. Lord, forgive us our offense against you. Redeem us as you've promised you would. And you finished that work at Calvary through the person of Christ. Lord, if there's anyone who does not know you, may today be the day that they look upon Christ for that forgiveness that we all desperately need. And you've provided. Whosoever will, let them come. Lord, today may they come. Ask for your boldness today as I preach your message. May you receive glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. John MacArthur said it this way. Well, how could we categorize the problem people in the church? Bless you, my brother. He knew the sermon was going to be dry. Thank you. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's getting better already. Here we go. 
How can we categorize the problem people in the church? We might come up with five categories. Five categories of problem people that retard the growth and the power of the church. Group number one, we'll call the wayward. The wayward. The wayward, they're they're never in step. They're always out of sync. They're always out of line. They're never with the program. When everybody else is moving ahead, they're going backwards. When everybody else is filling up the ranks in proper order, they're outside that somewhere, falling, uh, failing to do their duty, not particularly interested in serving, sometimes not at all interested in giving, idle, perhaps even loafing. They're in the way of the progress. They're disorderly. They might be even AWOL. They might be apathetic. They might be sometimes contentious, sometimes rebellious. And I suppose they fill up the spectrum all the way from apathy to rebellion. They're the wayward. They're just never going the way everybody else is going in the proper line. They're at odds with everything. Now there's a second group we'll look at today. And the second group we might identify that hinder the growth and the life and the power of the church. We'll call them the worried. The worried. Now this group is basically motivated by fear. These are the people in church who have no courage, who will articulate, you know, the famous words, we've never done it that way before, who can give you ten reasons why you can't do anything you propose to do. They have no sense of adventure. They hate change. They love tradition. They fear the unknown. They want no risk. They worry about everything. All the issues of life are far more than they can bear. They're usually sad, always worried, sometime in despair, often depressed, discouraged, and defeated. They carry none of the zeal, the joy, the thrill, the exuberance that adventure brings. We could probably identify a third group. We could call them the weak. The weak. They're just spiritually and morally weak. Christians who, because of their weak faith, because of the weak disciplines of their life, are susceptible to sin, and they fall into the same sins over and over And you barely get them up and dust them off and they're back in the same hole again. They find it very hard to do God's will consistently. They embarrass themselves. They embarrass the church. They embarrass the Lord. They take an awful lot of attention. They test how good a church is at church discipline and usually run you all the way to at least step two. If we're to identify a fourth group, we could call them the wearisome. The wearisome. The wearisome, another word for that would be 
frustrating, but it doesn't start with W. These are the wearisome, the foot draggers. They're in line, but they're just going at the wrong speed. They never catch up. You keep teaching them, and you keep training them, and you keep discipling them, and you pour all of this energy into them, and every time you look around to see how close they might be, they look like they're further away. Everything distracts them. They have a great difficulty concentrating, great difficulty focusing. They're just very exasperating because you make the maximum effort and you get the minimum return. They don't move and grow at the pace that would be considered normal. Finally, group five would be the outright wicked. The wicked. They do evil. Christians who do evil? They commit sins against other Christians right in the church. They break up marriages. They defile daughters. They steal. They gossip. They slander. They falsely accuse. They're just wicked. Now you understand as the church endeavors to grow, it's got to deal with these five groups. The wayward, the worried, the weak, the wearisome, and the wicked. And no wonder growing healthy flock is such a challenging enterprise because of all these folks need healing spiritually. The wayward need to get back in line. The worried need to have a stronger courage and faith and boldness and confidence. The weak need to be more disciplined in the matter of holy living. And the wearisome need to get up to speed. And the wicked need to do righteously. There's a lot of work to do to bring all of these in line. The Bible never says anything about uh, homogeny. The Bible never says anything about cultural demographics. The Bible never says anything about subtle strategies. The Bible never says anything about entertainment methodology. The Bible never says anything about advertising technique. But it does say, if you want to grow, if you want to grow a church, you need to get the impediments out of the way. You need to deal with whatever is retarding that church's growth. And then, when it gets pure and it gets holy, it will get moving. And it will know the power of God and it will make a massive impact on its culture. John MacArthur is exactly right. That's the church. That describes the church. And look, we just launched a great outreach. And I praise the Lord for what happened Saturday. And I'm looking forward with great anticipation with what God has in store for us as a church moving forward. And again, I invite everyone, if you can be here Saturday, you're missing a blessing. Even if you say, well, I don't want to talk. I don't, you can stand and hold a clipboard and write and you can pray. You're eligible. Okay? And you don't have to pray out loud. You can pray quietly in your soul. Just don't close your eyes because you need to write. 
But it's a great opportunity. But also recognize, and I'm reminded with this text, that as we reach out to people and people come in and begin to visit our church, well, guess what? We're imperfect people. We've got flaws. But you know what? God's in the business of transforming lives. He's in the business of healing people, spiritually speaking. He still heals people physically. He don't need some man to lay hands on you to do it either, by the way. But God changes lives. And He wants to start right here with us, with this group of believers. And I went through and I named five different ones, and maybe you're identifying with one of those five or several of them. Well, I want to encourage you today because the Apostle Paul gives us in our text how we are to approach in dealing with one another. And I tell you, it thrills my soul because it lets me off, I don't say it lets me off the hook, a little, not really. Because as you'll find in today's text, it's not just the pastor's responsibility to deal with these five groups of people. Guess what? It's all of our responsibility. Take a look in the Word of God, if you would. First Thessalonians, you, and uh, let's, let's, let's go ahead and pick up from last week's reading, verse 12 of chapter 5. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. I'm going to stop there. But you'll notice in that uh, previous text that we looked at, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, he talked to the shepherds as to how they were to treat the sheep. And he told the shepherds, labor among the sheep, take authority over the sheep, and instruct the sheep. He told the sheep how to treat the shepherds. He said to the sheep, appreciate the shepherds, esteem the shepherds, and submit to the shepherds. Verse 16, he's going to tell us, as we'll get into, uh, Lord willing, in future days, he's going to tell us how the sheep are to relate to the great shepherd. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. Don't quench, don't quench the Spirit. Do truth. So forth. Even though the shepherd has a responsibility in dealing with the sheep, Paul places that responsibility on the sheep as well. Notice verse 14. There's a key word in verse 14 that lets me know and should let you know that it's not just the shepherd's responsibility. It's not just this pastor's responsibility. Notice the word. Look in the text. Now we exhort you, brethren. Brethren. He's talking to the sheep about how they deal with the other sheep. We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. That's an instruction to you, sheep. That's an instruction to me. Does not exempt those of us in leadership, but it includes everybody. 
verse 14. He says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. That little phrase, admonish the unruly. You may want to underline that. It's the word ataktos was used in a military sense. Now think about this. When used in a military sense, it had the idea of a soldier who was out of line. A soldier who was out of rank. A soldier who was guilty of disorderly conduct. Who was insubordinate, not submissive, disobeying orders, not following through on his duty. He was out of step. It eventually came to mean anybody who doesn't do his duty, anybody who doesn't follow through on his responsibility. Moffat uh, translated, he, he translates it as loafers, and it's not the kind you wear on your feet. Some have suggested quitters, idle, lazy, indolent, apathetic. But it doesn't have to mean just that. It can mean someone who doesn't do his duty not only out of apathy, but someone who doesn't do his duty out of rebellion. You remember, MacArthur says these are the wayward. These are the wayward ones who are out of step. It may be that they're not doing their duty because they don't care. It may be that they're not doing their duty because they're angry, or they're rebellious, or they're contentious. They're just not supportive. They're not a part of what's going on. Sometimes they hang on the fringe for a while, and finally, they are so bitter, they just leave and go somewhere else. We've all experienced the wayward. So how are we to deal with these? How are we to deal with these people? The word warn is the Greek word nutheteo, which actually means to admonish, to warn, to exhort. Admonish them. That's the answer. How do you deal with these wayward people? You admonish them. Individual sheep go to these sheep. Notice what I said, because brethren warn them. Guys, church members, here's how we deal with them. You admonish them. You. You. Individual sheep go to these sheep that are hanging on the fringes and not doing their duty, not using their gifts, not ministering, not on board, not supportive, not with the program, and going and not going the way that everybody else is going. They're out of line. They're out of rank. Disorderly. They're AWOL. So what's Paul saying? He says, just come alongside them. Come alongside them. Exhort. It's a, it's a, it, it leans towards an encouragement. And sometimes admonishing may come in a scold. It may come in a forceful. It may come in a firm confrontation. But a lot of times it comes by simply coming alongside the person and encouraging them to get with the program. Get on board, man. You're missing out. I'm worried about you. I'm concerned. I'm warning you. You know, this is not a good path you're on. And we all have that responsibility to come alongside our brothers and sisters and, and admonish them. 
A.T. Roberts said the verb uh, nuthateo means to put sense into. To put sense into. To come alongside and put some sense into their heads. <laughs> I got to put some sense in. Man, you got to get some sense in your head. One writer says, it is the idea of coming to someone who is following a path that ultimately ends in serious consequences and instructing them about the inevitability of those consequences. Hey, man, look, I'm not trying to be a fuddy-duddy. I'm not trying to rain on your parade. But I'm concerned because I can tell you, if you stay on this path your own, it leads to destruction. And, and, and you're going to end up not just hurting yourself, you're going to hurt others. This is not a good path you're on. You're on a wrong road. And, and I, I love you, I care about you, and that's why I'm trying to come to you and tell you, this, you know, I'll help you however I can. And this is practical. This is practical, guys. This is real stuff. And this is where we are. This is how we, God's given us how to deal with the wayward in our midst. So, Come alongside. Some see Paul addressing in this passage three groups. And in fact, it's interesting because when we look at the rest of the remaining of these groups, and we're today highlighting five, but I'm getting ready to hit a few others. But when we see this, he's already in a lot of ways addressed some of these issues. And we'll look at some of these texts. The wayward, the unruly, the idlers. These are the idlers he spoke of in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. Look over in verse 4, 11 through 12. He's already said this about the idlers. He says um, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Again, there were some problems going on there in 1 Thessalonians. Some people weren't doing their part. They were out of rank. They were out of order. They were out of line. They were expecting to, you know, just kind of loaf their way through. And and Paul says, look, you don't work, you don't eat kind of thing. He warns them. He's already told them about that in verses uh, 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 chapter 4, 11, and and 12. Uh, What about this second group? So anyway, the wayward, we warn them. How about the second group, the the, uh, worried? The Bible refers to them there as the faint-hearted. He says, comfort the faint-hearted. Warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted. Those anxious, think about it. What are we talking about? Who's this written to? It's written to some of these people that were asking Timothy, go back and ask Paul these questions for us because we're a little concerned. Timothy says, Paul, they're doing good, but some of them are a little worried. They're a little anxious because they're afraid that they've missed the rapture. They're afraid about all their loved ones that have already died and gone to the grave. Are they going to miss out on that that great, glorious morning? See, these are the worrisome. These are the faint-hearted. And so, uh, by the way, this this word faint-hearted is from two Greek words, and basically it means soul and small. They are small-souled. Interesting. Soul and small. The small-souled, they hate change. They're, they're very small in that, in that faith prospectus. They hate change. They love tradition. Oh, they love tradition. The faint-hearted, the small-souled people, they love tradition. 
They want to do it always the same way. They fear the unknown. They worry about everything. Bless them, as William Hardy said, they see the manure pile in every meadow. (laughs) Oh, don't step there. Oh, don't step there. We got to stay on the beaten path. There's manure piles everywhere. We might step on them. They lack courage. They don't want to dare to do anything that hasn't been done. They love what is safe. They only want to walk in a path that somebody's paved. They only want to repeat an act that somebody has done. They want a risk-free life with absolute security. They're usually melancholic. They lack the strength to move out with the church and take challenges, strike out in new ministries. They fear persecution, don't like to communicate Christ. They're afraid of opposition, usually sad, all the time worried, very often depressed, in despair, discouraged. That's the worry. That's the faint-hearted. So what does Paul say? He says, comfort the faint-hearted. Comfort. What did Paul do? He says, you know these things. I've already talked to you about these things. You haven't missed... Your, your family, look. And he gives them that, that uh, dissertation, if you will, that we, we've already looked at, where he comforts them because he says, comfort one another with these, with these words. You remember the passages? He's, he's already written it. He's told them this. So what do we do? What's our answer with comforting the faint-hearted? We've got to encourage them. We've got to comfort them. Look, it's going to be all right. all right. I know we've never done this this way before. It's all, it's all good. It's going to be fine. You know, we'll, I'll, we'll, we'll walk through it together, and I'll make sure you don't step on these manure piles, okay? I'll do my best. We've got to comfort them. And, and look, it's, and, uh, uh, this is part of God's instruction. And so... Uh, that's the reality of it. What about the weak? The weak. Those suffering under temptations to lapse into immorality. He talked about this, 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's look over there and see if we can kind of get a hint of that. 1 Thessalonians 4. Notice what he said in verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord, through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So what is he saying? The weak. Paul says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. There are some of us that are just weak in our faith. We're prone to stumble. We camp out in sin. We kind of live in the pigsty. And that's where we feel comfortable. Why? Because we're weak in our faith. How does faith come? How do I strengthen my faith? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. You see, brethren, 
We've got to come alongside the weak. And we've got to strengthen them. We've got to hit God's gym. Not gold's gym, baby. We've got to hit God's gym and pump it up. We've got to do a few curls. Give me a couple of, you know, John 3.16's on this arm. And, you know, what's my point besides making a fool of myself? We got it. Thank you. I did that well. Gerald recognized that. I appreciate that encouragement. Had a way to come alongside me, Gerald. <laughs> appreciate it. But what do we got? We got to strengthen each other in the faith. It's not a self-help program. It's not a, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It'll be all right. No, it's not all right. Sin is not all right. Sin is what costs our Savior. That's why He shed His blood upon Calvary. That's why He endured the suffering He endured because of our sin. Don't cheapen that grace, that gift He's given you. Would you take a gift someone gives you, drop it on the floor, and trample it underfoot? Hey, I appreciate that. That's going to be great. I love it. Thank you. But yet when we choose to live in sin, and we are weak in our faith, we're trampling underfoot the sacrifice of Christ. There's no appreciation. There's no thankfulness. No genuine repentance and humbleness before a holy God that we are truly thankful that I have crossed from death into life, that my sins are forgiven, that I've been made whole, that I've been made clean, that it does all those wicked things that I've thought and done in all of my life have been paid for and I am forgiven and I'm set free and I have a home in heaven and eternal life. And I show my thank you with a life of trampling the gift of God underfoot by the way I choose to live. Church, that's not how it's supposed to be. God's called us to holy living. We've got we to help strengthen each other. That's why the Bible studies are important. That's why your personal time in God's Word during the week is so important. We've got to meditate on these. We've got to fill our heart and mind with the truths of God, God's Word. And let it direct our steps. Let it lead us and guide us. You know, the Sunday school classes that we meet, and we've got some great Sunday school classes going on, that's you working out at God's gym. Care groups, that's you and me working out in God's gym. We're getting stronger in our faith because we're hearing the Word of God. And it's strengthening us. And that helps us. It helps us to fight the good fight of faith. So that's what Paul's telling these these believers at at Thessalonica. He's saying, look, this is is how we we do this. Uphold the weak. I've got to pray for them. I've got to pray for my brother. I've got to pray for my sister. I've got to come alongside them. I've got to encourage them. I've got to spend time with them. It gets ugly. I've got to invest my life i got to pour my soul into them. And guess what? I'm going to suffer heartache. They're going to betray me. They're going to turn their back on me. If any of you have been in the church long enough, this is what happens. But you know what? We're called to continually invest in each other's lives. Because you know what also happens? is also we see some that stumble and fall 
and they get helped up and they get dusted off and they begin to grow stronger and we begin to see this transformation in their life and we begin to see this transformation in their marriage and we begin to see this strengthening of their faith and before you know it, we see them faithful to the things of God and then before long we see them encouraging others and we see them helping others and we see them bringing others to Christ and I'm going to tell you what. It's, it's worth all the heartache. The Lord tells us this. The angels in heaven rejoice. They throw a party over one sinner who repents. You got the illustration, you know, the 99, the one sheep. It's worth it, folks. It's worth it. Aren't you glad somebody took time to invest in your soul? Amen? So, that's how we help the weak. But what about the wearisome? The wearisome, now, uh, notice the text. He says, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Be patient with all. This is the wearisome. Be patient toward all men. Uh, which, think about this. Which people make you the most weary? <laughs> Don't answer out loud. Don't point. The people who make you the most weary are the people, the ones who wear on your patience the most. <laughs> oh, they just get on your last nerves. Guess what? God has, God has put those people in your life to help you with your patience. <laughs> They're the wearisome people. They're the wearisome people, you know. But you know what it is? It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you and me to show love, to show grace, to show forgiveness. God's given you difficult people so you can become more Christ-like. He's given me difficult people so I can become more Christ-like. So what do you mean, Pastor? Well, think about it. I don't know about you, but I can only imagine when I think about a holy God for 25 years being long-suffering to a pretty difficult person. And yet He continually, time and time again, extended grace Love, forgiveness to an extremely difficult person. Sometimes difficult people are in our lives to teach us, to help us be more Christ-like. It's not easy, is it? I'm not going to stand up here and say it's easy. But let's try to look at it through Paul's instructions. Let's put on the biblical lenses and say, you know what? Okay, Lord, help me. Um, you know, obviously I need to work on my patience a little bit. Um, I'm a little short-fused. Uh, don't always handle this the way I should. God, help me respond in a way that honors you. That's the wearisome. Be patient with all. And then we get to the wicked. 
Interesting, the wicked, they get their own verse. That's verse 15. <laughs> Notice that it says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. Uh, I believe that there was probably those who were doing such a thing. There were obviously wicked people, uh, as there always seems to be. But always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. The wicked. Paul is, in essence, he's saying, look, there are people in church that are going to hurt you. They're going to do evil to you. I had a friend of mine, he's a pastor, he made this statement to me one time, and I've never forgotten. He said, Jeremy, I have met some of the greatest people I have ever met in my life within the walls of a church. And I have met some of the most wicked and evil people I have ever met within the sides, within the four walls of a church. And it's true. The wicked. They're going to do evil to you. They'll harm you directly with wicked words that attack you face to face. They'll harm you indirectly by gossip. Church gossip, there's no place within the body. Putting down other believers behind their back, slander, evil speaking to others about you, people will do that to you. They sometimes will harm you directly by shutting you out of uh, their fellowship, by eliminating you from their social circles, by keeping you out of their ministry. They're uh, because of jealousy, envy, hate, bitterness, or anger. They may harm you directly by stealing your virtue and sexual sin. Some of these wicked people are breaking up your marriage. They're taking something precious, influencing one of your children towards wickedness. They will harm you indirectly by leading you into sin. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, that's in the church? Men have crept in unaware. Wheats and tares will grow up together, folks. There's no perfect church here. Well, what are we to do about it? How do we treat the wicked? He says, See that no one repays another with evil for evil. You want to know what you do when somebody's wicked to you? When somebody's evil? when they harm you, when they hurt you, don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. You don't retaliate. That's the command of the whole church. It's in the plural imperative. There's no place for retaliation anywhere in the church. There's no place anywhere for personal vengeance. The only one who has a right to retaliate is who? God. I know the flesh says, boy, I'll, I'll show them. But that's not God's way. So Paul's laid it out for us, church, and he's laid it out for all of us. 
Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. We're in this together, church. It's not just about what's best for you, but what is best for all. And that's a pursuit. Paul's encouraging us. That's a pursuit. Let's go after that. Let's collectively, as a church family, let's move after God's will, God's plan for our life. If we are ever going to grow as a church, we must be willing to deal with the imperfect people. If we're going to deal with the church, if we're going to deal with the, uh, with the fact that we want to grow, we've got to deal with the imperfect people who make her up. And this is a responsibility we all have to help remove the hindrances that prevent growth by dealing with the sins that so easily beset us. We also must be willing to grow in our understanding of the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. What a great passage of Scripture, Lord, to instruct us, to teach us. We've been in school today, Lord. We've been in Your school. And we thank You for being the great teacher that You are. Lord, we recognize that it's not enough to just hear the Word. But we've got to exercise it out. We have to do it. And so, Lord, help us be faithful in, in applying the principles, the truths that you're teaching us. Lord, transform us by the renewing of our mind. Help us to really get what it is you, you've instructed us is, um, in your word, how to, how to be holy because you're holy. Lord, this is not something we do in our own strength, but by your grace, because of your mercy. Lord, you've asked us to be light, salt. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for the death and the burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To know that my sins are forgiven, to know that I've been made clean, and to know that you care, Lord, not to just leave me once that's happened, but you've given us the promise of the Holy Spirit, and we're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher, indwelling us and leading us in, in line with the Word of God. I pray you help us all this day to take these principles, to take this truth, and how to remove the impediments, how to come alongside one another, how to uh, uphold those that, Lord, are, are weak and, and the faint-hearted and the wearisome. Lord, all of the people that we've looked at today, they're us and how we need one another. Thank you for this church family, Lord. It's truly a blessing to serve alongside these folks, to shepherd them. And Lord, I pray that in this position that you've called me to as an overseer, that you would lead me to lead them. 
I ask now that you go with us, and, and Lord, uh, again, if there is anyone here that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that, Lord, you begin only the work that you can do, and that is the work of drawing them to a place of repentance. You've extended a gift of mercy and grace to them in the person of Christ, and you call them to, by faith, repent of their sin and receive Christ to be their Lord and Savior. Lord, let them do that. Enable them to do just that this day. Father, go with us. May we be able to come back tonight in our care groups and once again, work out at God's gym. Thank you. Thank you for this time. And Lord, we give you the great praise. You are truly a wonderful, amazing, holy and healing God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.